So we're back to 1 Corinthians, the last chapter. But I'd like to share with this prelude to our message this morning. Last week, it was a principle for giving. But and yet, the actual text is about collection. Collection for the contribution for the poor in Jerusalem church. Collection that Apostle Paul is encouraging that they do it voluntarily and generously. In other words, it's an offering plan. And this week is about sharing his about tentative plan for traveling. And mentioning a couple of his friends. Uh, him, he, he's sending or he encouraged others to go. So in other words, the whole message, I mean the whole passage in chapter 16 is about menial things. But I want you to know, as important as John 3.16, Romans 8 is, that every section of the Bible is God's word. God's inspired holy word. So let's anticipate that way. And it's always, um, how many times have I been surprised in the beginning of the week? Uh, I'm going, oh, I, need some, I need some meat to deliver. And the menial things that I go through by the end of the week, this is the same case. My heart was stirred. I can't wait until I share so we take that more of a practical application angle. The title of the message today is Principle for Doing the Work of the Lord. And obviously, it's much more than itinerary of Apostle Paul's traveling. In so doing, we need to define a couple of things. What is the work of the Lord? And who is it for? The three things at least. Number one, the work of the Lord is not just for special category people, i.e. missionaries, full-time pastors, people who are serving on a uh, vocational clergy. It's not them only, but also for all believers. Do you know that this verse actually is continuation of Apostle Paul's thought in previous chapter. Remember that in original text, this was a letter, one whole continuous letter. There was no chapter divisions and there's no verse divisions. Chapter 15, verse 58, Paul writes, at the end of the resurrection... Doctrine of Resurrection. He gives very practical admonition, urge, call. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And we define that work of the Lord has two aspects of it. Not just the working for the Lord, but working, uh, working in cooperation with 
the Lord who is residing in us. God's work within us and through us. And the other aspect is working the work, type of work the Lord Jesus would do if he were on earth. Continued. So what did he do when, while he was here? He preached about the gospel. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Reaching out. Evangelism. And he edified his followers, believers. The reaching out evangelism is not just the doctrinal evangelism, but the proclamation of goodness about the kingdom of God, which is a holistic salvation. Working with the poor, healing, casting out demons, all those are inclusive in that. But the call is for every single Christ follower. And that leads to the second point. It is each Christ follower's work of ministry to carry on what Christ wills for the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus himself admonishes us. And as he did. Seek first the reign and rule of God. And how does it, how is it expressed in the church life? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I think the 11 context is important as well. And Christ gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. These are the categories, typically lay people, keep their distance from. Like, for, for instance, yes, I am the pastor at this church and shepherd and teacher. But if you really think about the Christ vision of the church, is not the pastor is not the shop owner who needs to make the attendees as a customer, spiritual customers, satisfied, but actually Christ, Christ commands the pastors and shepherds to equip the saints, which means every single one of us, for the work of ministry. So actual work is every single individual. The role is different. My main key role, the difference role is to equip you. So each one of us has work of ministry. Thirdly, it is a call for us to do Christ's will faithfully in serving the Lord. So as, as, we, as we come to the family of God and we are serving the Lord Jesus, what does it serving the Lord Jesus? Obviously, it is expressed in serving people. It is expressed in caring for the poor. It is expressed in witnessing, sharing the gospel. But if you look at it, Revelations 2.26, listen to this. The one who conquers and who keeps my works, Jesus' works, until the end, to him I will give authority over nations. In other words, 
Christ's call for each one of us is keep doing what Christ would do on earth and keep his work faithfully until the end that we will reign with Christ as a co-heirs of God the Father. Incredible, right? So, the, the reason why I went this at length to explain the backdrop of this is that if you read the following verses of 5, 5 through 12, it sounded like missionaries, missionary uh, traveling plan. And then you could easily check out. But it is actually about each one of us. A.W. Tozer is the one who said, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. So brothers and sisters, the following verses is very much applicable to you, as well as to Boen, Cindy, and Wade, and Helen, Bob, and Grace, and me as a full-time pastor, full-time missionaries. The question that we're going to ask simply uh, to organize our, our thought is a similar to the last week's question. What practical principles can we draw, learn from these verses? For doing the work of the ministry. Doing the work of the Lord. There are at least four. Number one, in doing the work of the Lord, we are to do it with a clear direction and interdependence. I felt tempted to write vision first. But that's another word that we disassociate. Those of, us, those of you who feel like I'm not a leader type, I'm not a visionary. Now, this is much more of when you are doing it, doing with aim. At least know the clear direction. Our church has a direction this year. Um, our direction is to love Christ passionately, more passionately this year, all year round. All life long. So this year we're focusing on that. That will be the theme of our retreat as well. In verse 5, and that, how does that relate to interdependence? See if you could catch those two things in verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Macedonia is, think of it this way, the upside-down triangle, modern-day Greece, think about it. The top is Macedonia, the bottom is Corinth. And Ephesus, where he's writing from, is modern-day Turkey on the, on the border of the, uh, the Asian 
sea at the port city, he's basically saying, I'm going to go to the north first and come down this way. But what does he say? Intent to pass through Macedonia sounded, sounded like, I'm going to just swing by, check up on the churches that I built and planted. But I, my real intention is going back to you. And I'm going to stay there for a while. I'm going to linger a while. And this was a spring, basically saying, by the time I get there, it will be a near beginning of summer, I'm going to spend the winter there. Why, Paul? Because I miss you guys. That's part of it, right? But he's very intentional. So that you may help me my journey wherever I go. Where is he going? It doesn't take uh, theologians to know. If you read through the book of Acts and other passages in New Testament, It's quickly, especially Romans, which he wrote after this letter. Actually, he was staying in during the winter time in Corinth. He wrote the letter to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. Why Rome? Because he wants to go to Spain. Why Spain, Paul? Because his aim is to reach the unreached is actually his ambition in Romans, uh, the, the letter to Romans. He says, it, my ambition is to, to go where Christ's name has not been mentioned, preached. So no one has gone to uh, modern-day Spain yet. And to go to Spain, he thought about this church that has, has a good reputation among the believers, which he did not plant it. The Roman church was there, house churches, underground churches were there. That he wants to visit them and do the similar thing, get their support to go to the ends of the earth. So now the tone, feel the tone of it. He's very tentative. So he's not saying, uh, whatever happens, happens. The Lord wills, I'll go here, I'll go there. Cast Sarah, Sarah. No, he's not saying that. I have a direction. I'm going where Christ's name has not been mentioned. That's the direction that I'm going to have. That's what we ought to have. Whatever you do as a Christian, you're serving the Lord. Oh, they asked me, forced me to be a, you know, welcome team member. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just doing it. Because my wife makes me. That's not the attitude we should have. Okay? I I am not good at smiling and welcoming. It makes me feel awkward when I say welcome. They don't look at me, and I, I don't want to make eye contact with them. But the, my passion is the Lord Jesus who saved me compels me to serve, to reach out. If there's any person, one person 
who stick to the love of Christ and the authentic community that we're trying to build, oh, that would be awesome. I know some families went out to uh, foot, foot bank, or what, is it, what do you guys call it? Foot bank, right? So it's a, there is a church in uh, Whittier. Uh, they have all kinds of different dry canned food and things like that. And any, the poor can come and then one uh, Christian can walk them through. There, there's a kind of process they need to go through. If you have a certain number of family, you could get two cans of this, up to three cans or something. So at the end of that, they meet, they go through that and kindly guide them. At the end of that, the parking lot, they pray for them. Doesn't sound like a rocket science, but you could do that. Why are you doing that? Okay, it makes me feel good when I help others. No, Christ commands me. Remember the chapter that we were going through with Matthew? And there will be a judgment. That God will separate the wicked. And, and then it's not about the godly knows better things and weakly doesn't know the better things and scripture things. But it is an act. When you are, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Though that simple thing can be the work of the Lord. Once again, Tozer's really right. Even if it's a simple act of kindness in your neighborhood could be act of work of the Lord. But in so doing, notice that this independent, go-getter, multi-talented Apostle Paul seeks others' help. I know some of you hate to go to short-term missions because one of the processes for short-term mission is that you have to write a support letter asking for your, your friend's support financially. And that's humbling. And even as a pastor, that was humbling for, you, for, for me to really write and ask. Because I don't want to appear to be needy. And I need, you know, when people have this attitude also too, right? But Paul knew there's a concept of doing the work of the Lord requires its interdependence. He intentionally asks and involves Corinthian church's support. And in so doing, they have opportunity to do the work of the Lord. Oh, I feel bad if I ask things like that. So it is not about me. Do you remember the passage right before that? He already asked for the collection for the poor. And he's asking, you know, way indirectly, very subtly, another asking for support. And Paul was uh, diligent enough, unlike other uh, other apostles, to make sure these 
Gentile unbelievers to not have any stumbling block because there are so many false teachers who are greedy and who are asking for all different kinds of support and food and luxurious things. He made tents to support himself in Corinth, in, in, in the various cities that he went, self-supporting ministry. But and yet, that was not about his pride. That was for the goal that he had. And even for this time, that he's actually encouraging them to get involved, to partner with him for the furtherance of kingdom of God. Here's number two principle. In doing the work of the Lord, we are to stay open and flexible to the leading of the Spirit. Verse 7, For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Even this short two sentences, I mean, two verses, is a kind of peculiar things are mixed together, isn't it? So he, he just wants, uh, first thing that he says, I want to see you, I want to spend time with you, if the Lord wills. If the Lord permits, or James, brother of, of Jesus, brother of the Lord, that he says the same thing. Don't say, tomorrow I will do this and I'll do that. What is your life? Your life is like vapor, moaning fog. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. So say, if the Lord wills, you will do this and you will do that. And that's the posture Paul has. But it is not just an ambiguous stance, but he's keen, his intent is way off, asking for direction of the Holy Spirit, leading of the Holy Spirit, guidance of the Holy Spirit. As much as Paul was an absolutely goal-oriented person, which I, I, I love about the Paul, because I'm such a, uh, in a good sense, I love goal-oriented life, in a bad sense, I could be driven for that. I make things happen. I plan it. So my earlier ministries, some of you were there. Even in my college ministry, I had a 10-year plan this big. I figured it out. This is going to happen. At Crossway, you asked me, what is your 10-year plan? We don't have none. We don't have any. And some of you, I, I used to read uh, leadership books and management books for fun, my leisure time. Some of you, oh, the organization will not grow. Yes, I agree. So when you think about the identity of church as a first as an organization, yeah, we should do that. The survival of Crossway Church as a nonprofit organization 
is much needed with these plans. Yes. But if the Crossway Church belongs to God the Father, we are family of God, we are community of believers following footsteps of our Savior and Lord, our keen sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit is more important than anything else. I, I would admit, we will not, like competitively speaking, in terms of growing in numbers and make names in this city. I've long gone, abandoned those worldly ambitions mixed with spiritual ambitions as well. And I, I ask for that. Lord, what do you desire to see in Crossway? And this year, co- coming e- years, what do you desire? Could you show us, point the direction? By the way, we should do that in our individual lives as well, not as a church. The whole point of Solitude and Silence Day is the asking that simple question. Lord, what do you desire to see in my life? That he will give us the direction. So Paul, although he had this plan, he sounds very open and flexible. And guess what? In, in reality... 2 Corinthians chapter 1 deals with this follow-up. He actually directly did the opposite of what he said. So because of this, already suspicious Corinthians who had problems with Apostle Paul and questioned his authority, apostolic authority, because of him not making keeping this promise in their own words and following through, there's a disaster happening relationally. I mean, you should check it out. Chapter 1 of first, Second Corinthians deals right into that, starting with verse 15 and 16. First 1, I mean, chapter 1, verse 16 through chapter 2 to 4. He defends himself. He basically says, I choose not to go because I didn't want to go with angry heart. And that we will, uh, I have so much fatherly heart that I wanted to rebuke. I didn't want to make that painful visit again. What, the, what he meant is, he made a short visit, and that visit was furious visit. And after that, there's a letter missing in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. This letter was called a severe letter. And a kind of funny thing is that severe letter was effective. So hearing reports about the severe letter being well received, Paul starts with such a comfort. God of God, all comfort. That's chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. That's what happened. And what Paul is saying, God is a witness against my testimony. In other words, 
in his own true heart, what he really followed is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you discern leading of the Holy Spirit? To not think about this, you know, the, the open door policy prayer. Let's pray that if it's, uh, the escrow this opens up, like a price for this house is opens up a little more, then yeah, that's the Lord's will. And if it closes, oh, that's not the Lord's will. Oh, that's, that's really not a wise, prudent way. Because although he says a wide door for effective work at Ephesus is wide open, Acts chapter 9, 10, the revival happens to a point that people do not buy idle Artemis. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things that every time when people visit the temple of Artemis or Diana, same thing, they would buy this. And the silversmith who were main business was making that and sell that when they just sensed the impact of Paul's gospel sweeping through the city and no one's buying it, they decide to kill him. As a rock, as a, a kind of uprooting the crowd, the greatest the Artemis of Ephesus, and they were trying to kill to kill kill um, Paul, and he was teaching for two years faithfully the gospel. The impact that impact spread to all through the Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. But isn't that strange? The last phrase was added there. And there are many adversaries. So if we pray with man-centered point of view and pragmatic principles, we'll pray like this. Lord, our church will support and go where we're welcome. And then people are just glad that we came. And by the way, our church people are really good at you know, going to Europe and France. Oh, this, we love that. So uh, we will go to France. That will be our mission field. East Asia, China. Oh, they're so rude. And there's the communists that they persecute. Why go there? Why risk your, your life? Leading of the Holy Spirit was happening in a very realistic way. In spite of this adversaries, Paul saw the work of the Holy Spirit strong. And by the way, even in our church, as we are serving in Foot Bank, as we are reaching out to neighbors, as we're building the hungry, the, the, the people who are dried out spiritually, coming back, drinking cool water, Guess what's going to happen? We are going to be threat to the enemy's territory. And obviously, you need to pray for our elders. Pray for me. And pray for each other. Why? Spiritual battle will happen. In our marriages. In our health. 
and our doubts. The adversaries will be there. Number three. In doing the work of the Lord, we are to value and care for teamwork. Verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. As you know, most of you know, Timothy was Apostle Paul's spiritual son. And he was growing as a young pastor. But Timothy, in spite of his, I mean, along with his tender heart, teachable heart, Paul delighted with that. Unlike Titus, who has this, uh, much more tough skin and who could go through these reality, harsh reality, with much of getting hurt. Timothy had not only upset stomach, but he looked so young. Maybe, he, maybe Steve Giordano was like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So if he sends him, and the Corinthian church has the tension with Apostle Paul, Paul's obviously worried. And he is making a direct request. So Paul is not a superstar here. I'm sending one of, one of my lieutenants. I don't know his name. You know, can you take care of No. Timothy, he needs three things. What does he need? Welcome him. Don't you ever make him feel any kind of uneasiness. Make him feel comfortable and welcome. He has a lot of fear. He's a timid guy. Number two, don't you ever disrespect him because of he looks young. He is young. Don't you mistreat him. What is, what is the reason for that? You put him at ease among you, for he is nice guy. No. For he has been really uh, good to me. He's my loyal lieutenant. No. For he has a reputation of record. No. The simple and one reason for he is doing the work of the Lord. He is representing your Savior in Christ. And show him respect just because of that. And I just had a two-hour Skype time with Wade. And it's just wonderful. Because not only our friendship is... You know, always there as if we never miss time. But Wade has his questions uh, that his local church, like uh, these uh, 
This is a special church for the expats. The only foreigners come, and they're beginning to open up to the, the Chinese who want to learn English. But Waze preaches that at that church regularly, going through Romans. He's on chapter 14, so he's asking me a bunch of these questions. So I just had a really, we didn't mean to spend that long time. But when you think about what, you know, Paul is going through and the concerns for uh, Apostle Paul's, uh, you know, concerns for Timothy and he values the teamwork. And I, I think that what, what Apostle Paul is doing is that um, as he builds every single one of his team members with care, Titus, Silas, and he started with Barnabas, who actually helped him, but many others, even, even you know, Second Timothy, he mentions a local uh, lay leader called, by the name of Onesiphorus who visited him in, in Roman dungeon prison. His attitude was a never superstar apostle, but he cares deeply about that. So do you have an idea? Some of you guys are really want to reach out to the local uh, outreach ministry, working with the poor, making a difference. Uh, maybe somehow work with alongside of the organizations who help the widows and orphans. Wonderful. Don't do it alone. Don't watch too much of superhero movies because they don't need anyone, right? And build into them. Those are people who build into me, did very simply what Paul did. They say, hey, I'm going to visit this. And when I was a youth pastor, a youth leader, I'm going to visit this guy. Would you come along? All you have to do is watch. So, yeah, that, that sounds fun, and I'll come along. That's how you could build into them. There's a fourth and last principle of doing the work of the Lord. We are to be self-forgetful and sensitive to the Spirit's leading, not only in ourselves, but in others. Verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Pay attention very closely on this one verse also too. It's packed with nuances and different things. The first one is that 
Do you remember every topic that he would introduce? Now concerning the collections, now concerning the singleness, concerning the spiritual gifts. That's his way of introducing new topic that Corinthian Christians wrote to Paul to ask his opinion, his feedback, his guidance. So evidently they wrote something about Apollos. But it, it's not too difficult to even imagine what was going on. Do you remember the factions, the four factions? And the last one said, uh, uh, we're not all these, we are Christ, which is even the nonsensical one. But some people said, I belong to Paul. Some people I said, some people said, I belong to Apollos. And some people said, I, I belong to Cephas, Peter. Traditionalist. And then Paul the Apostle was a planter. And maybe more loyal, faithful people. People who said, I belong to Apollos. Apollos was drawn to this eloquent speaker. When he unpacked Old Testament, everything came alive. Tremendously gifted speaker. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I'm dying to understand. I finally get the answer when I get to heaven. So I, I think Apollos wrote it. I may be wrong, but basically, that eloquence of incredible preaching made him so popular. So, what can we assume? Well, can we read into this a little bit? They asked Apostle Paul about Apollos. More specifically, can you ask him to come? We miss him. We miss his teaching. We like him. Especially the Apollos crowd will say, Apollos. <laughs> and some of you have no feelings whatsoever right now. But just imagine that you are uh, leading this, uh, you know, mom's gathering or the, your kid's uh, baseball team gathering, a pizza party. Then everyone seems to like this another guy, another mom. So popular. And then you are the one this time, the coordinator for this event. And you find out, likely, he's going to have to miss because of uh, previous engagement. Yes, he's not coming. It's hard to admit to even ourselves, right? Or she's not coming. So imagine that ten times more for Paul to strongly urge Apollos, you need to go him, go there. Corinth needs you. And not only Paul's not appeasing Corinthians, but looking at Apollos' maturity, spiritual maturity, Apollos, if you go there and deal with Apollos' section, the, the sect that they have, divisive group for wooing your name, you could straighten them out. So why don't you go? 
You could sense Paul is forgetful about himself. He's not threatened. He's not insecure. Not because he's so much better. No. But because the ministry, the work of the Lord is not about himself. Work of the Lord is not his. It's Lord's. It is so relevant to us. When you begin to serve and volunteer, there's an initial joy. And then all of a sudden, all these conflicts happen and tensions. If you don't watch out, it becomes about you and you drop out. I will never serve at this church any longer. And some people actually pack their life and move. Looking for ideal place. There will be no ideal place. If you find one, don't go there. It will become not idealistic place anymore. Can we, can we learn this? Self-forgetfulness. This is what Jesus said about deny yourself and take up the cross. Say no to your stiff-necked eye, stubborn heart that you are important. And there will be a freedom and joy when you begin to do that. And another last thing is Paul is known not only to himself but to the others as the apostle for Gentiles. In other words, when it comes to Gentile territory, mission field, he is the general. Yes, Apollos is gifted, but the commanding officer, other than Lord Jesus himself, he is the general. I just talked to uh, some of our new people who are coming in, and it's just delightful membership orientation and process. And one of the things that I heard and I know about, the pain of the campus ministry background and experiences. And one of the things I heard is one ministry was particularly coarse and forceful. And that there's a pain in the name of discipleship, right? We could easily do that. And you know me, I, I could be straightforward and forceful in my presentation to you, a char- challenge. But as God continually matures me, that you will sense my respect, not just you, but the leading of the Holy Spirit, that might be slightly timing-wise different than mine. Because the scholars and theologians and commentators agree that maturity is not only on Apostle Paul's side, but on Apostle, the Apollos' side also too. He is concerned about unity of the church and his discernment is to support Paul as the, the person to deal with that. Rather than, you know, uh, bad cop, good cop kind of thing. Apollos didn't want to get involved in that. That was his discernment, his maturity. There's a mutuality going on, respect.
So I think I need to go back as we close to the first part of our, our message. Because modern day church is a predominantly consumer-oriented church. That church attend the attendees do not have to do much at all, but see a very sit and very regular supporters financially and be positive person. It just aches my heart to see that. For, for what does it mean for us to be salty and light, beaming with light of Christ, where we are? That each one of us, as passionate with zeal and passion, and never become indolent in our service to the Lord. The work of the Holy Spirit is shared in every member ministry at our church. Maybe that's the beginning point. Are you convinced that you need to do the work of the Lord? Or are you passing the buck to the full-time ministry people and missionaries only? If not, what is your work of the ministry? What is your part? Have you been humbled enough and self-forgetful enough to do menial things at church, even breaking down the banner? In the name of the Lord our Jesus, for the glory of God. Have you find joy working with children, seeing that our Father, Abba, is, is pleased in your service? As I mentioned, one of the most uh, subtle spiritual warfare, the battle that we need to fight in Orange County, comfort, apathy, seeking affluence, and be satisfied in that. The Lord Jesus asks you, not because you must. Do you love me? And along with Apostle Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. His answer back to each one of us is, then tend my sheep, care for my sheep, do the work that I will not be able to do in my physical body on earth anymore. I close with this uh, excerpt from some of, I heard uh, Northeast Men's Group read, read it. Uh, John Calvin was the one who said the key to usefulness for the kingdom of God is self-forgetfulness. And more modern, recent uh, contemporary writer Tim Keller wrote a book on freedom of self-forgetfulness. This is from, from that. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because the essence of gospel humility 
is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think, think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The people of God do the work of the Lord not paying attention to yourself and become self-conscious about what people think of you, but focus on pleasing the Lord, then you will see the joy of the Lord bubbling up from the bottom of your heart. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, thank you so much for this timely reminder for me and for our brothers and sisters at Crossway. Our prayer is that you will continue to bring to our mind so that we may feel compelled and challenged to confess that that our aim is to please the Lord Jesus. Teach us to follow the passion we see in Apostle Paul, the self-forgetfulness forgetfulness we sense in his all-out recommendation and urge for Apollos. And teach us to not to be so plan-driven, I know my stop person, but the person who is open and flexible, longing for the prompting and leading of your Holy Spirit. As for our church, we pray for our retreat, upcoming retreat, that as we prepare, our team prepares so well, we pray that your Holy Spirit will go ahead of us and prepare the renewal and revival we desire so much. And it is not with our efforts or even planning, but it is the might of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit, that only is possible. So Lord, would you hear our prayer? And I pray for each one of us to respond to the voice of God that we have heard this morning. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.